Hey, I'm Jamie from Stillmeyer Games, and today is one of my favorite videos that I get to make about our games. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about our new game, Apiary, specifically Tales from Production. So I'm going to go back and look at older components that we have. And I don't have components that go back all that far for Apiary, but um, some earlier components that we tested for Apiary, things that we thought about during the pre-production and production process of making this game. This is a game designed by the new designer, debut designer, Connie Vogelman, who's been amazing to work with throughout this process. And Connie was really involved uh, every step of the way. Whenever I'd have a big decision that I thought might impact the design or the gameplay, I would go to Connie and check with her first. It's, I think it's always good to check with the designer about those types of decisions. Apiary is a... If I didn't already say this, it's a worker placement game themed around bees that have become even more intelligent and even more technologically advanced than they currently are. Really way more technologically advanced than they currently are. They have become kind of in this world, in this version of, of the future, they've become the, the human-like species with humans gone. And they've taken to space. And so uh, Connie built this game from the ground up based on, uh, based on her knowledge of bees. Uh, she's a, an amateur beekeeper. And she layered on these sci-fi themes that bring in the bee theme fully into this, this sci-fi theme. You're placing worker meeples. I'm going to give a little context, I guess, before I jump in. But you're placing worker meeples that have four sides on them. Let's see if I can find one here. Uh, I have a bunch of stuff on my desk right now to show you today. So you have, you're placing these workers that have four sides on them. And based on their current side, their current strength, one to four, um, depend that impacts the the strength of the benefit that you're gaining from one to six actions on the board. So you're placing a worker on the board, you're gaining that benefit. Or if typically if all of your workers are already on the board, you are retrieving them back to your uh, your docking mat. So what I'm going to do today is, is go back in the past a little bit and look at some of the components that we considered during the production process and some things that we changed to make it uh, more user-friendly, more intuitive, and just easier to play, more accessible often. So let's see how far back I have. I have what I call a pre-production copy over here. I have the final copy of the game right here, just kind of off camera. I have the pre-production copy of the game. Before I get to the pre-production copy there, we tested some earlier components. So here's, for example, um, when we, so I had 3D modeler Heriberto um, Martinez take some sketches from artist Quan Chai Moria and design these worker meeples. And so this is like one of the very first versions of it. This is a 3D printed worker, uh, worker meeple um, that, that we were testing out just to see like, will it, will it stand on, one of the things I was looking for is, will it stay upright on every side? Because these aren't dice, you're not rolling these, you're simply placing them. And when you retrieve a worker or when a worker is bumped off the board, it gains strength. So it, it levels up a little bit. So I wanted to make sure it could just lay flat on each side. So that's one of the things that we worked on. That's why we 3D printed that. Um, along the way, this might be an earlier version of it too. I've, yeah, you can see this one. Let's see. Okay, yeah. So this version with legs is an earlier version. We removed the legs so it could lay a little bit more flat. Yeah, the final versions don't have legs. Also, the, these are meant to represent worker meeples. They're workers, but they're also, they're bees that are essentially flying through space. And so we wanted them to look a little bit like bees, but also a little bit like a bee controlling a bee-shaped vessel, a bee-shaped, bee a small bee-shaped uh, spaceship. These workers evolved into these little plastic meeples that look like this. I'll hold these up. 
they evolved into this. So this is when I chose, so during this process, I was choosing the color. So I used some colorblind apps like Colorblind Pal to see what colors would be the most user-friendly. And so you can see there are reds and greens in this game, which is typically viewed as a no-no, but there are three different types of colorblindness. And uh, and so you, you, you kind of have to look through this Colorblind Pal app at the, the through, through that lens to see how these, uh, these colors show up in, in each of the different types of colorblindness. And one of the things that you can do if you want to have uh, workers that, that are red and green, for example, is that you can change the brightness. Like you, there are lots of different shades of green. This is a fairly bright green. This is a, a distinct red, kind of a classic red here. Um, but you can change the, the, those brightness levels. Again, there's a lot of different types of blues too. We could have gone with a darker navy blue, a lighter kind of neon blue. We went with something a little bit brighter, a little bit in between, and that helps differentiate them. But you might notice here on these workers, um, let me see if I, if I hold these a little bit away from the camera, let's see if I can hold a few of them up. Can you see the numbers? Can you see the numbers on them? If you probably squint and focus, you probably can. But we found when I got these worker samples, as much as I like them, and I like the price point on them, they were uh, fairly expensive, but not too expensive. Um, I realized that from across the board, it was rather difficult to see the numbers. They kind of blend in. They're there, but they kind of blend in when they're across the table. And so I realized somewhat begrudgingly that what we needed to do for user friendliness and accessibility was to put an ink wash on these, uh, on these worker beeples. So the final version looks like this. See, there's an ink wash. You can see that's much easier to see. Here, I'll hold up some equivalents. At least I think it's much easier to see. Everyone that I've showed it to has, has seen that. I won't make that decision for you, but you can see that comparison. You can see it far back here. I'll hold them a little bit closer to the camera. The number, the ink wash, I think really brings out what those numbers are. And even though the ink wash is surprisingly expensive, if you want to ink wash plastic miniatures, one of the nice added effects is that it does add to the bees in space theme. It looks a little bit gritty, a little, a little bit of that wear and tear Battlestar Galactica look of a, uh, of a ship that's operated in space for quite some time. So that was a, a, a we thought a lot about these vehicles. I even thought about, as I was designing them, which way they should turn. Because as you retrieve a work from the board, you level it up. Should I turn it, uh, is it more intuitive to turn it what, uh, counterclockwise and level up? Or what I ended up doing is turning it, I guess, to the right. You're turning it to the right. I don't know if there's really a clockwise. So you're turning it right to level up. I don't even know. And that's one that's, that's highly subjective. Which way is more intuitive to turn it? And even which side should be face up? And I... There are lots of different ways to think about this because the level four side, the highest side, is kind of just on the side of the meeple, but it just ended up, it kept feeling the most intuitive when you place a level one worker, which is when you gain new workers, you gain them on level one. It felt the most intuitive for them to be face up when you gain it that way. All right, I've just spent a lot of time on workers, but it's, we, this is a major uh, interactive point in the game. What, touching these, these workers, looking at them. Um, so it's something that we thought about quite a bit. Let's see, what else do we think about? Uh, here is the queen ship meeple. So there's one big meeple in the game. You can see it compared to the earlier meeples. This is uh, the 3D printed version. There's one uh, one big meeple, this, or one big miniature that you are moving around to explore planets. So it kind of represents the entire um, the entire fleet of, of, uh, of bees in space ships that are flying around the different planets. The final version, of course, looks like a gray miniature. We went with gray for this, so it's this big gray miniature that flies around. It also has a stand. You can see the hole in the bottom as a stand, so it's elevated above the planets that it's flying around, so you can see those planets below it. 
So I do see a component here that I know. So there's a couple components that we didn't end up using. Here's one of them. So one of the things that happens in Apiary is that when a strength four worker is either bumped or retrieved from the board, it goes into hibernation. Uh, it goes into the hibernation pod. And that means you get a bonus. There's an area control thing in the hibernation pod at the end of the game, some, me some mechanisms there. But that bee, so when that happens, your bee meeple, or your, bee, your worker meeple, is, is, uh, is kind of, it goes back to the supply. So th this meeple goes away and you put a hibernation token on the hibernation pod. Let me find those, those, here we go. So here is an example of a hibernation token. So they're just little cardboard tokens in each player's color. You put it on the hibernation pod and you gain an instant benefit. That's what we ended up choosing. That's, that's the final version. Um, however, in an earlier version of production, I, I was hoping to have mostly wood components in, in, uh, in Apiary. And so we had these big, chunky wood hibernation tokens. They're nice. But what we realized is that they added a significant cost to the game, which impacts you. The, price, the cost is passed on to you, the consumer, in the form of the final price of the game. And you hardly ever interacted with these tokens. Because it's only that one moment, that one moment of the game when a B levels up, is, is uh, a strength four B is retrieved or bumped off the board. It's only at that moment that you ever touch one of these and put it on the board, and then it is completely forgotten. You don't look at it until the end of the game for end game scoring. So I realized having wooden tokens for that one singular purpose in the game really wasn't necessary. It, it, I, I don't think it was, con it, you didn't get the value out of it. Um, to, to justify expensive wooden tokens, or semi-expensive wooden tokens. They aren't super expensive, but they do add a price to the game. So that's one thing we changed. And there's one other thing in this bag that I see that we did change along the way. Probably making a lot of noise here, sorry about that. Um, and let me show you the final resource tokens. Thing. So all of the resources in the game are wooden. So we have this little tray that pops out of the insert, and you have all of these little resources. And so you have, you have fiber, bees work with fiber. You have uh, water, bees need water. We have pollen. And then we have nectar, or we have honey and wax. Did I just say one incorrectly? Make sure I got them all right. Yeah, pollen, yeah, pollen. Um, and then you have, you have honey, bees make honey. And then you have wax. And wax was a tough one to get a shape for and even a color for. And so in an earlier version, in the, I think this was around the pre-production copy of the game, we had these silver tokens. The silver tokens were good. We were kind of going for a candle look, basically. We wanted these to look like candles for the wax. But we just, people just didn't associate silver with, uh, with, with wax. Um, it's even a bit of a stretch to associate wax with these tokens, but uh, it just ended up being more intuitive, I thought. Um, these tokens were nice because it was kind of this silver and gold look. They're easily differentiated from each other, but they're different shapes. The final version, actually on camera, they look pretty similar in real life. They look a little bit more different, but uh, we were going for kind of this, uh, I wanted to feel a little bit more like, like wax, like a wax seal, uh, a jar of wax. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where it may have made more sense to go with these, but it, it just, it, it wasn't resonating with people. People weren't connecting that shape with wax at all. So we had to change it. So we have those resource tokens, that change happened. 
Now, I don't have many other older components, but when we get the pre-production copy of a game, uh, we play it. We put it down on the table. So this is one that the game is essentially, it, it is complete. The game design is complete. The graphic design is complete. We have sent the final files to the printer and they send us a pre-production copy that uh, is, is a, it's a one-off copy that they print that looks very close to the final version of the game. And we get it to the table. We put it on the table and we play it. In fact, I just did this the other day for another game that, that'll be coming out in 2024. Um, so we get it to the game table, table and we play it as a group and we look for things that we wouldn't have realized while looking at digital files or even looking at previous prototypes. Um, and a few of the things we found uh, ended up being changed a little bit. So I'll show you a few of them. So one little thing is we have, these are the, the pre-production copies of the hive mats. And I'll show you one side by side. Here, yeah, here, here's the skep. And let's find the final skep because it ended up being slightly different. What we realized is that as we were playing it, um, there's, there's this big blank space over here and it just seemed like a lot of space. And so we asked our graphic designer, Christine, to center it. Here's the skep. So here's the final skep. Here is the previous skep. It's just a little change. And the, the original thinking was, you can put other stuff over here. But when it, what ends up happening as, as, as you're playing this game, in fact, you can even see that the, uh, the word change locations. So what, what you do while you're playing is you can only place tiles on your, your hive here, but you can add frames to the game that expand this hive. And players typically like to stay as close as they can to the bounds of their map or their mat. You don't need to, you can extend beyond that, but we found player in that, in that PPC playtest, players instinctively were sticking to the mat itself. And so we wanted to leave as much space around the entire hive for players to do that rather than kind of forcing them right away to say, okay, if you want to build out this mat, instinctively you, you need to go this way. And again, this is not a rule. You don't need to do this, but play, we found player, players were instinctively doing that anyway. So we made that little change, just a little change. There were a few other changes that we made in that PPC playtest as well. A couple of them were on the board. So here is, I'll hold up. So this is the, yeah, you can see this change right here. So here is the PPC board. Um, you can see this little arrow here. What this is saying, or what this is meant to say, and you can see this is kind of a, an interesting orientation here. Um, what this arrow is saying is, uh, if you place a worker, if you have a worker here and another worker needs to be placed on this action, this worker slides over there. But this arrow gets covered up when you have a worker on it. You can't see it. And so we changed it for the final board. You can see it here so that you place the first worker here. If someone else places another worker or wants to place another worker on the explore action, the arrow is outside of the shape of the, uh, the, the worker miniature. So you move the worker over here, you follow the arrow and put the other worker right there. And then you add the sum together for the strength for this explorer action. So um, one of those things that maybe we could have realized during digital design, but uh, but we didn't. And so it's, it's a good time to catch it. We also, I mean, there's a lot of little things on the board. I don't know if I can go through all of them. Uh, the convert action changed a bit. Let's see if I can find the convert action on here, or not the convert action, the uh, the grow action, I believe, is the one I'm talking about. 
yeah, I don't, I don't have it handy here. But yeah, we changed little things. We, we just looked at every action and said, okay, is this as intuitive as it could be? Actually, no, we did change this. These dance tiles. Um, one of my favorite mechanisms in the game is when uh, in this convert action, this is a way that you can convert resources to other resources, usually better resources. But you have these blank areas here. What these represent is that bees dance for each other. They, they do these dances. And there are various theories about what bees are doing when they actually do these dances. Um, one of the theories is that they are teaching other bees something. They're, they're, uh, they're kind of memorizing something and relaying instructions to other bees. And so this, you can create dances in this game where you create new conversions that you or any other player can use. And the original version of this, let's see if I can dig these out a little bit. They looked, when we had it on the table for the, the pre-production copy playtest, they looked a little prototypey is the word that was used. So here's what they look like. They look like this. And then they look like this on the board. And they stood out. I'll show you what they look like. They, they definitely stood out while you were playing, but they kind of stood out too much. They, they looked like a prototype component instead of a final art component. And so I reached out to my graphic designer and asked if something could be done about that. And Christine did. She, she used the some of the background art. Sorry, I'm putting stuff back in the box here. I'll do that later. Um, she used the background art to turn the dance tiles into something that looks a lot more incorporated with the board. So the final dance tiles look like this. So you put the dance tile on there and it just, it looks a lot more like it belongs on the board. Yeah. And they're even, so what you're doing when you, when you design a dance, when you create a dance is that you're actually putting tokens here and here that represent different resources. So this one, this dance tile is saying that you're converting things into, into honey. You're, you're creating honey in a different way probably than you're creating it here. Um, and you're marking it with the tokens that you select to put down right there. So it just blends in a little bit more. It looks like it belongs on the board a little bit more. There were a lot of little, let's see if there's anything else on the board that stands out like that. Here, I'll look at the, the old version of the board. Let's see if there's anything that jumps out. This is a double-sided board, one for one to three players and one for four to five players. Kind of scales the size of the limited carved tiles that you can make. Some of the actions have more or, or fewer, um, more or less action spaces. The hibernation comb changes a little bit based on player count. Um, I think there's one little thing that changes about the hibernation comb at the bottom. Let's see if I can find that on the, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This did change a little bit. So we just a little thing, but we added, so here's the hibernation, the final hibernate. Uh, this is uh, queen's favor, actually not the hibernation comb, but the queen's favor. This is something, if you have extra resources that you can't hold at the end of your turn, you donate them to the queen and you move up this queen's favor track to gain points at the end of the game. And we added a zero space. There wasn't a zero space on there on the PPC version. You can see it starts at one. And it isn't really necessary. If there's no if there's no starting point on a track like this, you kind of intuitively just put the tokens off the board. But it's nice to put all the tokens on the board. It's nice to have that zero space. And so we added we added a zero space on the Queen's Favorite track. I think there are a few other little things like that on the board. But yeah, a lot of them were, were just kind of minor um changes on the board itself to figure out what is the most intuitive way to play this game um i think that's the last of the changes i'm looking to see if there are any other changes in the ppc that i that i can remember but 
I don't think so. I think I think a lot of the changes are, are the ones on the board itself, the centering on the mat, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, uh, old PPC dust kicking up here. Um, and so I, I think that is it. I think those are the tails from production that I have. Oh, there were a few slight changes with the insert, but they're they're not really noticeable. There, there's an insert in the game that holds everything in its place here, including that tray that I showed you earlier, but they weren't substantial changes. Yeah, I think that's it. I think those are all the tales of production that I can think of about the game. Um, yeah, one thing I, I did share in the design diaries, going way, way back, is that when we received the initial prototype from Connie, to even decide if we wanted to publish the game. I thought Connie did, made like the most playable prototype we've ever received. It wasn't the prettiest prototype. It wasn't, uh, but, it, but it was incredibly functional. Like everything was labeled, each of the tile types. So there are a bunch of tiles. Like here's only one of the four types of tiles in the games, in the game, hex tiles at least. They're also planet tiles. Uh, she had those in a separate bag and they were labeled. And so we didn't have to figure out, okay, where are, which ones are the, the recruit tiles? We just looked at the bag that said recruit tiles and we used them. So I, I really appreciated Connie going above and beyond as a designer to make it really easy for us to learn the game and get the game to the table without her there. Because that's how, that's how, we, uh, how we review uh, submit game submissions when we're getting them to the table. That goes way, way back. That's even well, well before we, we even signed the game. But yeah, those are my, my tales from production that I can think of right now. I might think of some other ones and pop them in the comments below. But if you have any questions about production decisions that we made for Apiary, I'd be happy to answer them in the comments below. Yeah. Thank you for joining me for this video. Take care. Bye.